I'm going to look at Luke chapter 2 with you. I know many of you have a Bible with you on your handheld device if you don't have a copy of the Scripture with you. So, let's look at this passage of Scripture. It will be ten years ago next month that a 7.0 earthquake shook and virtually destroyed the island nation of Haiti. Depending on whose statistics you read, anywhere from 160 to 300,000 people were killed in that catastrophe. It was unbelievable. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings trilogy, he coined a word related to the coming of Jesus as a baby, to grow into a man, to live a perfect life, to do all the miracles which he did, all which were preparatory to his being arrested and kangarooed in a court and then went to down the cross for us. He said, the birth of Christ was a catastrophe. If you know much about English, you know when you put the preface EU in front of anything, it means good. Eulogy at a funeral, it's a good word about someone who is being memorialized. You catastrophe. It's a paradox. It doesn't even fit, really. It's a good upheaval is what it means. It's something that has disorganized that which was associated with order and has rearranged things. That earthquake which wrecked Haiti, according to geologists, people who were seismologists, said that probably that had been in the works for over two centuries and finally erupted, tearing that part of that island apart. Well, it had been more than 250 years in the making, this coming of Jesus. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, In the fullness of God, time, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He might redeem us, rescue us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law being that we are exposed by God's law as being sinners without exception. It's not a matter of grades of sin. It's a matter of the fact that we have broken fellowship with God by all sinning and falling short of the glory of God. This passage of Scripture talks about the impact of the catastrophe of Jesus' birth on the first people who heard about it. Let's look again at the text. It says in verse 1, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabitants of earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now we know Luke was a doctor. That's the way in which Paul describes him in the book of Colossians. He was a beloved physician. But he also was a masterful historian. When he took the task that the Spirit of God gave him to write this gospel, he was very careful in his research. He consulted all those he could who had had some sort of contact with Jesus, including Mary, the mother 
of Jesus. And he, in his research, found out the timing of Caesar Augustus' declaration that all the inhabitants of the Roman Empire had to go to the city of their ancestry and there pay a tax. It's not the kind of census that will happen next year in the United States to determine how many representatives each state has in the Congress. That is a census of numbers of people. This was a census to collect tax, which would go into the coffers of the Roman Empire. And Luke talks about the first census. Why did he talk about the first? Because there was a second under Quirinius, by the way. We know from very recent discoveries in archaeological science that in 8 AD there was a second census of getting taxes from the people. Look at verse 3. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and with child. Mary didn't have to go. The emperor only said the head of each household would go and pay the tax for his family. And we'll get back to that in a moment. Just keep that in mind. Mary did not have to go. How many women do you know who are almost nine months pregnant would take a journey of many miles for anything, and especially on a donkey? Unbelievable. There's a reason for that. Look at verse eight, and it, 6, rather. And it came about while they were there... The days were completed for her to give birth. We don't know how long Mary and Joseph had been in Bethlehem. We don't know for sure. Probably not too long. But long enough for the people there to recognize this woman was about to have a baby. That was clear to those in that village of Bethlehem. In verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son. Let me pause here just a moment. Do you know that the word, you wouldn't know this probably, firstborn comes first in the sentence? That was a device that any writer in the language of the New Testament would use to emphasize that fact. Now remember, where did this information come from that Luke wrote down? Well, it came from Mary. This was her own account. He's the one who talks about the virgin birth. And remember, what was his profession? He was a physician. He had attended many women when they were giving childbirth, I'm sure. He knew the facts of life. He was a scientist. But he uses firstborn because she said, then Joseph and I had at least six more kids. We know that from Matthew 13. So there was no perpetual virginity of Mary. She and Joseph had a lot of kids. Now, I want to talk about making room for Jesus in our hearts tonight. This is what Christianity and Christmas is all about, really. Making room for Jesus in our hearts. I see some of the reasons why people don't in the response of the people who are a part of this story made to Mary and the impending birth of Jesus. I would say the innkeeper was probably an insecure person. 
Look again at the text. And notice what it says in verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. That would be a trough to feed animals from because there was no room for them in the inn. The implication is this was an inn with which reservations, in effect, had been made, maybe, could mean that. Or it could mean simply it was the only inn in the town of Bethlehem. Luke uses the word inn one more time in his gospel. Surprisingly, he uses a totally different word. And it was used in the context of the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man who has been brutalized by thieves, passed by by two religious men. A Samaritan comes by, a man who was hated by most Jews. He sees this poor man, not knowing if he has life in him. He comes and he doctors him. He binds his wounds. Then he takes him on his own beast of burden to the next inn on the highway between Jerusalem and Jericho. This man evidently from Samaria had acquaintance with the innkeeper. He made agreement with him to keep this man and to feed him and to help him get on his feet. And he left payment for it and said, if that doesn't cover the bill, when I get back, I'll make good on it. The word for in there was different. The word in the parable of the Good Samaritan has to do with something that has not just an enclosure around it, but a roof over it where somebody can get food when they need food and shelter too. What about the word that is used for in regarding the in in Bethlehem? It was nothing but an enclosure that had like a fence around him. It was a lot like a corral. People who were traveling with beasts of burden or any beast could go in there and they could find feed for their animals and a certain amount of security in that place. Is it possible that the innkeeper had had arrangements made somehow or another with Joseph before he got there, but maybe Mary burdened Moses' progress toward there down. And consequently, he gave their place away. After all, he needed to make some money. This was where you make hay when all the people are coming to Bethlehem. Now, I can't document that anyway. But what I see the possibility of is the possibility that's evident very often today and has been ever since Christ came. And that is some people are depending on something other than God for their security. Typically, it's material security. And maybe you know someone, maybe you're such a person who has a hard time letting go of your attachment to money. And I'm not talking about giving it to the church. I'm just talking about what Jesus says in Matthew 6. You cannot serve both God and money. For either you will love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. Our insecurity keeps us from responding by making room in our lives for Jesus, in our hearts particularly. The second thing that serves as a roadblock many times in this matter of making room for Christ in our hearts is what I would call inconvenience. Now remember, 
This inn was for animals, but their owners stayed with them. I cannot for a moment believe that people didn't hear the conversation that must have happened between Joseph and the innkeeper about the need of his wife for shelter because she was with child. People heard it, but nobody volunteered to give up their space for Joseph and Mary and their animal. Many times people say, I just don't want Christ in my life because He's going to ruin my life. There is no greater lie of the devil than that. He did not come to ruin anybody's life. He came to people in ruin, without hope, without peace, without any idea about what's going to happen at the conclusion of their lives here on earth. And He came to give us Himself, who is the life. And so, these people were inconvenienced, I think, probably. Those in Bethlehem who had traveled from all over the region, getting back to the town or city of David, their ancestor, to pay their tax to the Roman emperor. Inconvenience keeps us from giving our lives, our hearts, to the Lord. And then here's another group that's easily overlooked, the Nazarenes, where Mary and Joseph lived, where Jesus grew up. Remember? The Nazarenes. The Nazarenes, they knew the circumstances of this pregnancy, at least they thought they did, that the marriage was just a cover-up for sexual indiscretion between Joseph and Mary. And people talk. They just talked about it. And Mary knew the hostility, and more importantly, Joseph did. And to protect his wife, he took her along with him to Bethlehem. He did not want to leave her in that situation. He ran the risk of the babies being born on the trip or there, but he wanted to take care of her. One of the most poignant scenes in the Bible, next to the cross, I would say, is this young maiden who has never known a man in a sexual relationship, bears a child who is God's child. And here she is alone. Most scholars think she would have been in her mid to late teens, just a child herself, alone in that situation. She goes into labor. She has probably witnessed the birth of children before in her family's life or friends' lives. There was a very open community among the people where she lived in Nazareth, as was true without and within all of the region. So what we know here, she was alone. And my heart goes out to her. Whenever I see a depiction of this, my heart breaks to see her. And to think about how she yielded herself to the Lord. So that she would bear this child. It was puzzling to her, as we know from the book of Luke. But nevertheless, she went ahead and obeyed. And these people were people who were not insecure or inconvenienced. They were just totally insensitive. I don't want to hear anything about it. Because I don't believe any of it. Lots of people like that. Who don't make room for Christ in their lives. 
But then we come to this group which does make room for Jesus. This is one of my favorite groups in the Bible and perhaps yours as well. The shepherds. Let's read this together. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly afraid. And the angel said to them, Stop being afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you, talking to these shepherds, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do you know that shepherds' testimony was not allowed in a court of law in the nation of Israel? Because they were thought to be disreputable. They didn't have the kind of integrity that would be seen as that which would tell the truth about anything. And to whom did this message come of the birth of the Son of God? To people who were at the lower rung of socioeconomics in that nation. The irony of it was, it was they who probably provided a lot of the sheep for the sacrificial system in nearby Jerusalem. Yet they were not even allowed to come to the temple because they were thought to be contaminated through their association with these animals. It's amazing to think about. But look what the Lord does. Look what the Scripture says in 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths. And this idea of being wrapped in cloths, it's swaddling clothes, is what I think the King James Version describes it. This is just rags, really, and lying in a manger. That's a feeding trough, as we've seen. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is This is the glory of which we sing in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. This is where it originated in the singing of the angels. 15 says, And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They didn't let any moss grow under their feet, did they? The Bible says in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, I hastened and did not delay to keep the commandments of the Lord. We see that faith had been born in their lives. They had been born again. And they wanted to see this one who would be the agent of their salvation. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, I already read that. Let's look at verse 16. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. They told the good news, didn't they? They made room in their hearts for the Lord and We are called upon to do this as well. Paul writes to the Ephesians in the third chapter. His prayer for them included this petition. That they would make more and more room in their hearts for Jesus by trusting in Him. More and more room. Are you about the business of making more and more room in your heart? 
for the Lord Jesus Christ, why would you not give Him access to your heart? It could be because He creates inconvenience for you. I would have to adjust my life. I would have to submit myself to Him and trust Him to rule my life instead of running it myself. Or maybe you're just insensitive. Your heart's become hard toward the message of Jesus Christ for any number of reasons. Maybe people have misrepresented Christ. Maybe they have said one thing and done another. There are always those kinds of obstacles which the devil seeks to put in our way of making room in our hearts for the Lord. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. And he with me or she with me. Christ wants us to make room for him in our hearts. Would you bow with me? If you've never made room for Christ in your heart and you sense that He is, in fact, the Son of God. He is one who loved you enough to take your punishment for your sin upon Himself. And He actually desires to be not simply a part of your life, but to be the centerpiece of your life. And you want to ask Him to come into your life. Invite Him. Remembering what the Bible says. That... To those who received Christ, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. Those who welcomed Him, as it were, into their lives, who received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Lord, give us new birth as we yield ourselves to You. We trust you for eternal life and a place in your family where we can, without any doubt, call you our King and our Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.